Hello and welcome to the Peoples of the World podcast. I am Kev Shapers, your host. Join with me on this beautiful journey to explore different cultures, traditions and religions and find out what we have in common and what we can learn from each other. Stay tuned. Hello, hello. Hi. I'm sitting here with Cleon from Singapore. Mm-hmm. So tell us where you're from, what's your life like? All right. So currently 24 and 24. live in Singapore. I have just uh, completed my national service and I'm currently traveling, I would say. And I actually just quit my job just a few months ago to actually pursue the arts or I would say the arts. Uh, which is a very generalized picture of what I actually plan to do because I would like to touch uh, many pieces or actually many subjects on arts like drawing, perhaps painting and exposing myself into actually understanding even woodwork as mm. of now and especially that's why I came to Bali. Yeah. Oh, cool. And that's uh, a side note there. We're recording this beautiful podcast uh, in Bali, mm-hmm. close to <laughs> Changu. And uh, so when you say national service, what does that really mean? Is national that... service is some like a service that you actually have to give back to your country, okay. I guess. Uh, and I don't think it's an issue because of how I would say Singapore has given much safety and much more opportunities to actually, uh, I would say, live life in a very in-the-box kind of situation where everything is taken care of. I mean, there's its pros and cons, but... Uh, I would say if you are a type of person that actually wants to wonder a little bit more, you realize that actually that place could actually only grow you thus far. Mm. And you have to actually explore the world for you to understand a little bit more. Yeah, but I mean, I'm very thankful for, for being a Singaporean because mm. of the its benefits that I get. I would say strong passport, good healthcare, and I would say as well as safety on the streets, which is the most important, I feel. Okay, yeah. so what does national service contain? And mm. is it mandatory for every Singaporean? It's mandatory for every male Singaporean uh, once they turn 18, but you could delay that if you go to uh, university or you perhaps, I wouldn't say university, polytechnics is what they call it. It's similar to an associate's degree in, in the US mm. or perhaps uh, pre-U, junior colleges. Okay. Yeah, we follow the British uh, education system. So once you're done, and that's when you actually go to... Uh, so-called uh, the army or the police or the civil defense yeah which is the firemen and then you can become a fireman from there yeah so you there's many choices but uh, you don't get to pick it's much more of uh, depending on your so-called uh, family history one way or another mm. yeah I guess but I'm, I'm not gonna go into deep upon that because there's another subject on its own already yeah okay I mean, we can just let this conversation go in any direction All that right, sure. you feel comfortable in going, right? Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to create here is just a, a deep dive into the mind of a Singaporean mm-hmm. um, and also how it was like growing up in Singapore, mm, okay, what sure, experiences yeah. that you've had in your life, you mm-hmm. know, just like a lens for other people to understand what it's like to be uh, a day in the life of Cleon and what your past and your future might look like. I see. Okay, sure, sure. Um, where do you want to start? Well, let's uh, talk about what uh, growing up in Singapore is like as a mm-hmm. kid or just your specific childhood, you know, your experience, okay. how, how you've had to deal with things, how, mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever comes up for you on, mm-hmm. on that topic. 
Okay, I'll start with something uh, I would say that everyone appreciates and I'd say Singaporeans really appreciate the most. It's food. Okay. So being a, a person who grows up who grows up in Singapore, uh, I would say that uh, I actually had a lot of choices of food and we love food, I guess, Singaporeans because we are raised in that way, I guess, to be able to uh, enjoy good food with good company. Mm. So uh, that's how we actually, I was raised when I was younger. I think I, would, I could speak for majority of Singaporeans that uh, food is a huge part in the culture, even with uh, the Singaporean Malay, Singaporean Indian, and Singaporean Chinese, and I would say the Eurasians as well, Singaporean Eurasians. We all grew up with the idea of good food and good company. That's uh, majorly, the majority the part of what Singapore actually represents, which is that food and culture. Okay, yeah. so what was your favorite food and what is food in Singapore like? Um, my favorite food, I don't have a particular favorite food because I have, I'm spoiled for choices since I was young. <laughs> I would say that majority of Singaporeans are spoiled for choices. You have Korean food, Japanese food, and in their own version of it in Singapore as well. I wouldn't okay. say it's so authentic to, uh, towards uh, Korea or, Japanese, uh, or Japan. Oh, there's even Chinese food which is no longer similar to mainland Chinese food it's very mm. similar to Malaysian food mm. but with their own twist I would say Malaysian and Singaporean food are very similar but um, I would say that it's also different at the same time like uh, I'll give you one particular dish it's uh, wonton noodles yeah, it's, it's just dumpling noodles um, in Malaysia you don't really see it with uh, they call it the soy sauce or black sauce where it's actually mixed with the noodles, so it gives a very uh, a dark uh -huh. color in Malaysia. But in Singapore, you don't really have that. You have much more of like the, the original look to it rather than with that with that sauce. Um, don't get me wrong, both are amazingly good, but it's that it's just that difference. I would say the little difference. Same food, but different way of preparing and perhaps different way of. Uh, um, the appearance, I would say. Okay, yeah. so you get like a, a hot pot of the mix of different correct Asian cultures, yeah. cultures and then you get your own twist on the food correct, itself. Correct, correct, yeah. Cool, so Asian food is often rice-based within some animal product and stuff like that. Is, would you say is it similar like that? or? Um, yes, very much. Um, to actually, yeah, I was having a conversation with a, a UK friend of mine uh, one from Ireland, one from Scotland, and mm. the other one from, sorry, a group of them, uh, and one from the UK in Birmingham. They were telling, they were all vegan. So they were telling me how, um, if Singapore has, has, has a lot of vegan food. I mean, I used to be a vegetarian for a few months mm -hmm. to actually get my weight down, and I felt actually much better because I felt much more lighter. Yeah. So I could do a lot more things without actually digestion slowing me down. Okay. So I did that uh, whole vegetarian phase. But uh, I would say in Singapore, it's very, very difficult to actually become vegan. Vegetarian oh. is fine, but vegan, to purely be vegan, that's pretty difficult. Yeah, because the, our whole culture is based on food. And yes, there's a lot of animal products in our food. Yeah. Uh, the, like, I'll just give you a few dishes of what I it represents to me and what I feel like in a particular race produces what, what food. Uh, I might be wrong because many different people have different perceptions of what food will actually represent that particular race. But uh, for the Malay, Singaporean Malays, they produce very good nasi lemak, which is uh, coconut rice. Mm -hmm. Rice uh, cooked in coconut. I love coconut yes. rice. Yeah, coconut rice, amazing. So right? nice. Yeah, with um, ikan bilis, which is what they call it, which is uh, small little fishes fried to the point where you actually can, can just eat it as a whole and chicken wings, yeah. um, egg, and cucumbers, and sambal chili. That is usually how it would look like. Um, different people have different variations. And for the Singaporean Indians, we have like the, the most famous would be prata, 
which is like the dome which you see this this swinging it around and actually producing this uh, uh, fluffiness or like uh, how I put it I don't even know how to explain that you know it's just it's just what it is uh, mm. and for the Chinese like usually usually foreigners will always say or even people from overseas or even Singaporeans say the, the first thing chicken rice chicken rice yeah chicken rice but it is actually I would say it has its own twist because uh uh, if you really want to know the, the where it really might have came from, it might have came from Hainan, China, where the Hainanese chicken rice was born. And mm. I don't know how much has it has it been twisted to to now where it is in Singapore because now it's a basic necessity, I guess, in terms of food everywhere you see chicken rice. Yeah, so I guess I guess it's also the beauty of culture and different cultures coming together where the influences will automatically dive and and change the. The flavor profiles and Correct. the preferences of the people. Yeah, agree, agree. So, as a kid, would you say, did your parents more take you out to eat? Was that a very normal thing, or what did you grow up having more home cooked meals? What? We had a fair balance because um, perhaps in in Europe or even in other countries besides Asia, when you go out as a family, you go out to play sports, for example, right? Uh, that that is the the main thing. That's what I realized uh, from my friends. They they go out. They they go to theme parks. I mean, we do that as well. But we're more focused. I would say perhaps my family focuses a lot on trying good food. Trying good food. Yeah. So I think there was an issue like when I grew up. Uh, I would say now that gluttony with food is a is a is a issue with me. Uh. So yeah. So there's a lot of things that you know, especially now being spiritual as I am, or I would say trying to or working towards being spiritual in 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 today's context. Okay. That I have an issue with certain things like gluttony, for example. It's you would say. Food is sort of a comfort for you. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. I think to many Singaporeans, it is a comfort as well. Like uh, when you're depressed, you're feeling low. Good food will always be there. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you never run away from you. So, I think that's where the I, I wouldn't say Asian. I would say majority yeah. of Singaporean people have built that basis into their minds that good food is what they need when they are feeling low. Yeah, yeah. I believe that food is a very important comfort object for people mm-hmm. where, where when they feel down they have a certain food they craving or you know just to to kind of dive in and, and, and have their mind um, absorbed with whatever they're eating and I guess what I've been hearing and correct me if I'm wrong your cultural aspect of social eating is just equally as important right where you come together and eat correct. together and share the food yes agree okay um so you said you were on your spiritual development path Mm -hmm. so what was your situation at home like and Mm -hmm. what religion were you following or how how did that look okay pretty interesting for my story in terms of religion was that uh like i said when i was younger mm, i was exposed to many religions in my life Mm -hmm. um i was from a catholic school that's number Mm -hmm. one um number two i I grew up with family, which is my dad being a Taoist, mm. uh, and my mom being a Tibetan Buddhist, mm-hmm. and lastly my caretaker being Muslim, mm-hmm. and I would say all this played a huge factor, and even the last one I would say actually played the most, I would say the most influence into my life was my tuition teacher, who actually was Christian, and from there uh, I was a young boy, six years old, um, and from there I got I guess you could say cycled into believing that Christianity was the only religion that could bring everyone to heaven, mm-hmm. because as a six year old boy as in, in uh, an adult telling me that, 
I guess I would definitely believe that because I think that's the closest thing of a of a of a, you could say a mother figure, you know, at that point mm. of time, being in the tuition and, and my mom not being there. So of course I, I listened and from there I, I got brainwashed into thinking that all the religions that my mom, my dad, my my caretaker, my you know, my schoolmates all are not following the right religion and that Christianity is the only religion that will save everyone and mm. to bring them to heaven. But as of course I grew older, I of course questioned that that idea and that belief, you know, that uh, perhaps that wasn't the answer. And I think when I grew a little bit older and when I was, I guess, 15 or 14 onwards, mm-hmm. I started to think a lot more about, about it. And I would say that's when I became spiritually free in the sense that I only believe in spiritual ascendance and spiritual faith and no longer about a particular religion. I actually accept all religion and different beliefs and I would also say that um, I learn from every religion that can be, I would say, guided towards me. I would say, mm. yeah, that was. So, it's an, a very interesting constellation. Let's try to break it down a little bit. Um, also for me to understand it a little better. So your father was a Taoist. Taoist actually, not yeah. Taoist. Race different, I have... I think in Singapore it's very different because Taoist and Taoist, um, I'm not too sure how much of a similarity that is. I have to do a search for you because I can't say what's okay. the difference. I'm actually quite familiar. So Tao and Tao mm-hmm. is actually interchangeable. What is different mm-hmm. in that uh, specific religion group mm-hmm. is that there's different sects and beliefs. So there's mm. the ultimate reality uh, sect, which is more of a... Uh, this is this should maybe it's probably not accurate but there's a sect that believes in only the universal principle then there is another sect that believes more in internal alchemy which is the striving for health and longevity until immortality Mm. then there's another one which is more a shamanic practice that write out talisman and they have Mm -hmm. different sages and deities Mm -hmm. Uh, but the underlying principle is the same the d and the t is in the English tradition, uh, tr- translation is a little interchangeable because uh, as far as I understand it, the Chinese language uh, has like a specific sound that sometimes gets confused in, ah, in the okay. English translation. Understand. Understand. So there's, there's more like a language issue there rather mm. than there being different sects of this. Okay, understand. All right. Interesting. Yeah. So and your mother was a Tibetan Buddhist. Yes, correct. Right? Okay, so, and then your caretaker, which was like your nanny? Or? Yes, yes, okay, my nanny. Okay, sweet, yeah. was Muslim. Yes. So a, a believer of Islam. Yes, correct. Very, very interesting. So how did this all work together? What what did your dad and your mom perceive? Were there, they a lot, uh, around a lot? Or what, what did your nanny teach you or tell you? Did she mm. have an influence at all? Like, how was this whole constellation? I think everyone actually played a huge part in me learning something. Mm. Um, they gave their own perception and their own uh, ideas on how, why they follow this religion. Yeah. Um, and I would say that uh, when I was thrown with, thrown with like these five religions at, at a young age, I would say that uh, you kind of just can't seem to find what's real or what's, uh, or how I put it, or what's the truth anymore at mm-hmm. the point of time I guess I could say that uh, I did have a conversation with you before when I was younger I was pretty much a weird kid yeah yeah so when I was young like what, six what does that mean to you weird uh, weird meaning I wasn't similar to the rest of my seven year old six year old or even eight year old friends or even my cousins 
I would say I was pretty much like uh, the weirdo, you know. Mm. I mean, at that point of time, who the hell thinks about death at that point of time, like six or seven? But I mean, I don't blame them for actually even casting me aside, you know. Because, I mean, if I were in their position, I wouldn't understand that, that, that boy either, right? So, yeah. I mean, no, it's just we grew up differently, what, I would say. What, was it, what did it feel like for you to be in that position? Because right now, mm-hmm. obviously, you've processed a lot. Right, yeah. uh, you've done a lot of spiritual growth, which mm-hmm. gives you a completely a change of perspective on everything that has happened mm-hmm. to you. Um, so what was it or how do you remember it feeling or what was the, the thinking process that happened when, when you were this young? Did you have a similar perspective then or was it difficult or what do you It was think? really difficult because as, at a point of time, no one could answer me uh, about the questions about death because uh, I had dreams when I was younger at seven or six about death and I couldn't understand to contemplate that and I was afraid of that. Rather than embracing it, as I would say, I wasn't strong enough to, or my mind wasn't strong enough to embrace the fact of death. And at that point of time, I actually was a sad, depressed child. Yeah, that, that was what I would call it. I was really depressed. I couldn't understand why I was living. Hmm. You know, besides the, you know, the, the essential things like playing games, I would say computer games was, uh, was an escape for me, you know, when I was younger. And other than that, uh, my perceptions on, on that point of time was very, I would say, just like depressed. Similarly, just depressed. I couldn't contemplate what life has to offer me at that point of time. Mm. And uh, I was always afraid of what's going to happen after death. Yes, mm. this was the question, like, uh, what happens after death? That was the question that was always going on my mind when I was a 7- to 8-year-old boy. And I can still clearly remember it because it's, it's something that I've, I used to think every day. So it's, I guess it's, it, it could be drained into... I drilled into my subconscious to mm. remember that part of that memory when I was seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was what I was that was happening. Was there something that sparked this question in you, or? Honestly, not really. Uh, <clears throat> nothing sparked it, but much more of a, just being alive made it made me think about questions like that. So I guess you could say that I just think a lot. For a child, and I would think to the point where I would get headaches, headaches, headaches. Yeah, yeah and I, I couldn't sleep. I, I always couldn't sleep as a child because I was always thinking, what, what's this gonna happen? So when everyone quiets down, family sleeping, and everyone else, and I'm alone to myself, that's yeah. where my thoughts start to dwell and start to go in deeper and deeper and deeper yeah, wow. to the point where, yeah, it was it wasn't a good feeling to be honest when I was eight or seven because it's, it, it was too much for me to handle, and 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 it became like I was. I was just sad, you know, for, for no reason, you know. My mm. vibrations were low. Uh, going to school was a hassle. always daydreaming in class. And, and, and that's, that causes a lot of uh, questions on teachers and my parents on wondering whether I was, uh, <laughs> whether I had some issues or mental, mental issues as, yeah. as a child. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't blame them, you know. Because, I mean, I think if I was the parent of that child or I was the teacher to that child, I would feel a little, you know, you know, I felt that maybe that child is a little special yeah. in terms of that way, in terms of uh, like, you know, not, not performing like the rest because I never really paid attention in class at all my whole life, you know. I was always daydreaming about certain concepts and everything else, about certain things in my life, daydreaming that, you know, I could fly a plane, daydreaming I could, I could move to places, daydreaming I could, you know, be in another country as of now while I'm in class. So I never actually really paid attention even until now, I guess I would say this, this concept doesn't interest me. So I start to dwell upon something else, yeah. 
Okay, so you have like a very vivid imagination if something doesn't capture your attention. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Now, for for the people listening in, mm-hmm. or you know, maybe there is a, a mother of a child, or there is even a child listening mm-hmm. into this podcast. If if you could talk to someone, or if you even could talk to your little self, mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself at this moment? I would honestly tell the child to actually live in the moment a little bit more and to, to I would say, give encouragement because I wasn't given a lot of encouragement from being weird, you know, when I was younger. Everyone thinks like, you know, my cousins were laughing, uh, mm. uh, you know, I mean, who wouldn't, right? You know, like, you know, because all of us were so close, my cousins and I, so, you know, like, <laughs> you know, why are you being like this spastic? You know, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's dudes, you know, just trying to be like, you know, dicking around. I mean, that's the concept of it, I guess. Sure. Yeah, so... I wasn't given much encouragement to dwell into my deeper side. You know, I, I, when I was younger, I was just left alone. Yeah. Uh, perhaps because also my parents were going through their own issues as well, so I don't yeah. blame them. I mean, ultimately, parents are equally similar to us. It's just that they are a little older. They've just spent yeah. a little more time on this planet. Correct. But ultimately, the same. So uh, I would tell the little child to, to live in the moment a little bit more, to expose him to uh, things in, in, in this life that could bring him joy or happiness. And, you know... I was, I would say, you know, when like, I was younger... Like I would, what, for example? Mm, I would say sports, if not sports, arts. Arts, are some, arts, I think, would be a great representation to be exposed to, to, the, to the kid on, like, perhaps even drawing, paintings, or anything to do with your hands, I would say. Mm. Because if this kid has a lot of imagination like he did, he could actually become, a, a, you know, I would say, a great artist when he grows up, you know? It's just that for me... As of now, I, I realized that I'm actually was, I was always interested in art, just that I had never had the exposure. So as of now, it's a little harder for me to, to express myself in the pieces that I would like to make, perhaps draw or paint or, or even build something. I don't have that tools, you know? Sure. And in Singapore, the, I would say the government doesn't practice huge uh, influences on building art and growing art as a whole. It spends more time in the finance industry which is understandable because I would say that uh, that's how you would allow everyone to be have low, no unemployment, I guess you could say, or near to no, no unemployment. And it works, I guess, but I think parents need to also put in the effort to, uh, to see that if the child is, I would say, dreaming all around all the time, he should actually be pushed towards the, that field, you know, so, so that he can better organise his thoughts and, and uh, imagination into the works that he, he would like to portray. You know, this is what I feel. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I guess that would be very good advice to someone that is raising such a child or the child itself. You know, mm-hmm. give give that child the freedom to go and explore. And especially now that we have the internet and most kids are Correct. able yeah. to use it, uh, find ways of creatively exploring it. And also knowing that uh, by being in the now, just as you suggested, um, you're able to see a lot more and also let it pass without worrying as much. Correct, correct. So, you had national service. That was the last thing we kind of jumped off on mm-hmm. after we went into your childhood there for a little <laughs> off course. Um, what else would you say is on your mind the most living in Singapore, just in your daily life? Maybe even, you know, when you were still working in finance. Mm, I would say a lot of the time in Singapore you spend a lot of time thinking about how you're going to make money and mm. that's the truth because um, where does that influence come that you're thinking a lot about money 
because of the the I would say the political system. I guess you could say that, or you could say that how you would like to be able to buy a house because it's so expensive. Yeah. So I mean, ultimately, the necessities of of a of a of a basic human is for a place to live, right? So the minute you don't have that, then you start to struggle. So uh, I would say that that was the basic thing that a majority of Singaporeans aim for. But if because of it being so expensive, they spend their whole lives trying to to earn that that abundance or that wealth to be able to buy the, the house, you know, yeah. to own the house for themselves or even to buy a car as a transportation tool, yeah. you know. So you're like a hamster in a wheel. Yes. In Singapore, you are really a hamster in a wheel. And I would say that I don't think that it will be as, as I would say the internet is growing a lot more. It's because now Singaporeans are opening their minds by traveling and seeing a lot of the, the different things. Maybe not everyone, but it's still better than as before. Sure. Yeah, so um, props on that, I guess. And with the media and everything, I wouldn't say the media, social media and everything else. Maybe perhaps they travel for wrong reasons, but they're still going to open their mind by traveling. Yeah. So I think that is a great help in terms of how Singaporeans can get out of that wheel. Yeah, but ultimately, Singapore works because of that wheel. Mm. Yes, if that wheel is destroyed, right? Singapore wouldn't be what Singapore is today, you know. Yeah. And what were your challenges? Maybe outside of the financial uh, realm, did you have like things like was it difficult or easy to socialize? Is it difficult or easy to make friends? What What is like the social? What is the social life in, in Singapore. Singapore like? Um, it's well, pretty. Also, you know, maybe you can give perspective on what it's like for you. Mm-hmm. versus maybe how or how it differs from someone coming in as an expat living there okay very simple i'll just give you a perspective of a singaporean singaporeans usually if i would say that you make good friends people who who stick by you not because of intentions or money in mm. few places as a singaporean male let's not talk uh, let's not go onto the perspective of a singaporean female but let's go to the singaporean male okay. you first have the your primary school Sure. That's where you spend from seven all the way to uh, 12, right? Yeah. Was uh, this how it was like for you? Because I, I would really enjoy your perspective rather than just the average Singaporean. Oh, okay. I'll just give you the short... Ex- uh, of, sure. It also relates to me. And uh, I would say that I've, I've spoken to many of my army mates. Yeah. And they all agree the same thing uh, on, the, on the same topic. Is that uh, in primary school, you make, you make one or two friends because you're too young to actually find yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, in secondary school is where you actually really from from thirteen all the way to seventeen, some to sixteen is where you really meet your good mates, mm. the people who are there because you're just having a good time. You 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 like each other's company. You are just there because of each other's growth. Maybe not all, but sometimes it's for the fun. But ultimately, you meet good friends there, and then the next you go on to to polytechnic or your junior colleges or your institute of technology of education. Uh, and you go on to that places and you kind of meet your people on your own own uh, vibration I guess you could say maybe one or two because that's where the world starts to show you how fake it is like you know reality wakes you up like people make friends based off intentions so that's where it starts around 17 or 18 mm. uh, and when you go to army for could, example could you explain that to me people make friends based on intentions yes so in school right it, it comes down to the point where you make friends because this person is smart. You could be your group mate or you could be this or you could be that. But, uh, and as, especially for me, because I was giving zero shits about my education in, in polytechnic, so I didn't really uh, got involved. So I was always observer. Uh-huh. So I observed everything. Sure. And I realized that, wow, okay, this is, this is how it works. Huh? Uh, 
I was also a, I wouldn't say a victim, but I was, I would say that I was I was also partaking in like you know when 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 it first came to the orientation in in polytechnic, I was a, I was a maybe a little bit too flirty. I I think I I I would say that I I hurt some people's feelings. Mm. You know, but I I would say that I learned from that. You know, I because I wasn't exposed to that. I was from an all boys school for eleven years, and then I enter a school where there's girls, you know, females and everything else. So yeah, I think I did make some mistakes, but I learned from there. But uh, as when I learned and I started to move back to see the perspective, I realized that. Uh, what, what do you think your biggest mistake was? Um, I would say. In, you don't have to mention any names or anything, but oh, yeah, know, yeah, just sure, like the, sure, the sure. context of it. Was that uh, I actually only talked to to girls. I would say at the point of time when I was younger, I think every male faces this, especially when they never actually had that amount of female attention before, and then they sure. suddenly receive that female sure. attention. Was that you become very. Uh, uh, you could say flirty you could say what's the better word for it is that you you don't really care about your feelings right because you're like wow I got so many of this I'm, I'm just gonna talk to this I'm gonna talk to whoever that I can get in their pants I'm just gonna do that you know what I mean so I think that was the, the, the case scenario but I don't really regret anything because if I didn't learn those things in polytechnic I didn't get those girls to actually I guess you could say hate me one way or another yeah, I wouldn't sure. have learned it and I, and I would have repeated it so because of that, I learned it and I realized that, you know, actually this is not someone I want to be, you know, and that's where I, I grew out of it, you know. What, what would you say that mistake was? Oh, the mistake was um, simply putting it, uh, thinking with your, thinking with your dick rather than thinking with your heart. Yeah. Okay. I, I would say that, yeah. Alright, so you threw your sausage into many pots. Uh, yeah, somehow, somehow, yes. I mean, I didn't sleep around with many women. I only slept around with one or two, but sure. the question was that, with that one or two, I really felt that, yeah. you know, and I realized that this is something that I shouldn't be, I guess, oh, okay, perhaps also being a traditionalist, you know, I, I feel as though like sleeping around with women, as much as the idea sounds extremely fun, but once you do it, you realize that, you, once you're done with it, and you realize that, hmm, she doesn't really feel that good, you know, you know, so that's for me, maybe not for some other people, but uh, my perspective, I would say, this yeah. is the thing that I actually, the mistake that I made, and also to, uh, yeah, actually, that, that would be all. I think that was the, the, the mistake that I made the most in it. So how are you going to approach dating from now on? Are you see, currently seeing someone? Yes, I'm actually currently seeing someone right now. Uh, and how it actually happened was really interesting because I wasn't looking for anyone at the point of time. And, mm. and then when I was actually going out with this person, I enjoyed the person's company. And because of all the past, uh, I would say, uh, experiences that I've experienced, I actually grew out from that. And I realized that... Uh, going out with someone shouldn't have the intention just because you're pretty just because you're hot just because you're smart that you know i'm gonna date you you know just because that it should be purely for your company I mean, in a sense that do you enjoy my company do i enjoy your company does it grow do we grow each other do we learn things from each other mm. and if so then let's go out with each other it's the same as a guy right sure. you, you you're not trying to sleep with the guy if you go out with the guy because you don't feel unless you're gay but you know if you're not then you go out with the person purely because you enjoy this person's company. And, yeah. and that brings out the true growth of a person together because you are learning, you are enjoying each other's company and you are you know, just spending, a, spending good time together. And that is the basis, I feel, for every person who actually wants to be in a relationship is that you shouldn't just think that, oh, this girl is hot, I should go out with her. Or this person, I, I'm going to bang this girl, you know, I'm going to go out with her. It should be purely based on the character, which is something that not many people, I would say, do it and even for me I didn't do it at, at, at the start until I got my heart broken by, yeah. by, by, by one of the girls that I dated and from there I learned a lot about uh, 
appreciating the person for what they can actually exchange with me. It should be an exchange of positivity if you if you want to be in that field. If you want to be on a negative um, vibration, by all means, then you will attract a negative partner. But mm. you know you attract what you are. So you know it's to focus on yourself before actually attracting a mate. Nonetheless, yeah. I'm sure you have some um, challenges in in a relationship, no matter correct. how high the vibration is. Correct. Correct. Agree. So how how. How is the structure of your relationship with this current partner? Is there like an open communication style, or you know, what does the dialogue like? Do what are your roles like? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, okay. Just, just to because today it's it's so difficult to really scope, and everyone has their own idea and their own perspective on how a relationship should look with open yes. relationships, polyamory, correct, marriages correct. that are open or closed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very very confusing, very. Mm-hmm. Uh, very challenging to kind of maneuver this space, right? So, how is your communication? How does your relationship look? Um, mm-hmm. What have you chosen for yourself, and why? Okay, I will just start off with saying that actually these these things that appear out are challenges to my relationship as well. Okay, and looking at the challenges within it itself is that uh, me and my uh, girlfriend currently, as of now, we do face certain challenges because of the media. Because media portrays how a relationship should uh, be like or feel like. And that's where you realize that not every relationship is actually the same. If you take it back and, and look at it in the bigger picture, that relationships shouldn't be based on the media or someone else's relationship. It's uniquely to your own. So I think that was the first challenge when I was actually dating this girl was that certain times, like, you know, even both of us knew that, but we were still challenged on that because sometimes when you see, like, uh, perhaps your... Uh, a, a, a couple on Instagram or on Facebook you see them uh, going around the world and, they, and this guy brings out like you know a thousand flowers for example and, yeah. you know, and, just, and just proposes to her so you yeah. know the, the idea drills into women that you know that is how I want to be proposed like you know sure. but you know it's very different and how we show love is very different to, to many people and of course some people are willing to do that but some people feel it's a hassle to do that some people feel it's, it's not logical to do that but I think that's the thing. It's not to base off your, your, your relationship into the media. You don't see your friends, like for, just, just simply put it for guys. I mean, I can't speak for women, but for guys, I, I, I can somehow tell you that. Use it. You th- sometimes think about your girlfriend as your mates, right? You don't base your friendship on your mates on a freaking social media platform. Like, you know, if you and your mates are, are like, you know, traveling around the world with motorbikes on, on, on the media, you're not going to do that if both of you are lazy fuckers. You know, you're going to be sitting down playing computer games together, but that's uniquely your relationship with your mates. Yeah. And it should not be, in a sense, that, you know, Singapore, or I wouldn't say Singaporean males, but perhaps maybe I could only speak for the Singaporean male because I can somehow understand because that's where I'm from, mm. is that to look for relationships that ultimately grow you as a person sure. and also as well as to grow the other partners as well. It's, to, it's simply to grow together. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I guess we have an idea of males and mm-hmm. male roles and male Singaporeans or Correct. whatever. Um, but ultimately, you know, the only perspective that we can truly speak from is our own experience. Um, so what I'm hearing you say, I'm just, I'm just repeating to kind of grab okay, sure. my, my mm-hmm. mind around it. So you shouldn't base or layer the expectations that the media put up on your relationship, Correct, on yeah. all relationships, but also not necessarily put the pressure of ideas and concepts you've had from different relationships on a new one, right? Correct, yes. And then I heard you say as well that you kind of 
also need to reframe and restructure and kind of build together what your relationship looks like and how it needs to Correct, yeah. work, right? What's your communication like in your relationship right now? Um, as I would say that I'll be very frank and I'll be very honest. Sure. I, in, a I rela- so. in a relationship, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm actually pretty petty. You're petty? Yeah, at times, at times. It's, I can't help it, you know. It's just... It's just who I am, I guess, you know, okay. sometimes, like, you know, give me I, an example. Of like, that. certain times I get a little jealous. Yeah. Okay, but maybe not so much to the point where, where I'm insecure, like other people, when you're, oh, you're talking to my girl, you know, you, you gotta fuck off, you know, it's not that. It's just uh, much more of like how my girlfriend reacts to it. It's, it's, to your jealousy? T- no, to, to perhaps like someone talking to her, uh, or like and how she reacts to it is how maybe, how would I feel? Is if she, she brushes off and she maybe flirts, for example, and then exchanges contacts, okay, that's perhaps that's when I get a little petty. Mm. You get what I mean? So to, and I think that's something that I have, I have to work on because I, I sometimes also believe in the fact that you don't possess your girlfriend or you don't possess the, the, your partner is because it's, they are willing to stay with you because it's, uh, it's not because of a contract but it's because they love you or one way or another is they want to grow with you. So ultimately, I think that's something that uh, for me, I face <laughs> being petty. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as much as my girlfriend feels the same thing, she also has her pettiness side but as a, as a guy, I would say that, you know, not many people are brave enough to admit it, but I will tell you straight up, I'm petty in a relationship. I'm not petty in anything else, but in a relationship, you know, so this is something that I still have to work on, I would so say. who gets to feel that pettiness? Does she direct it towards her or to the person that's maybe flirting with her or who gets to feel your pettiness? I think much more of my partner. Yeah, it's the same thing if let's say I do, uh, if I talk to other women in a way where, you know, I mean, talking to other women is fine, right? But you know, if if you like certain certain things, you can feel as as a partner. You realize that it's it's going off the like. You know, you have a communication style where where is you know across. Where the, a little bit too yeah, much. Yeah, where is a little too much, right? Okay. So when you do that a little too much, you know, and then that's when you can feel that she will be petty as well, or I will be petty as well. Yeah, but it's something that uh, I would say that uh, I bravely admit that because it's something that I need to work on as well. Yeah. Do you think you could involve her in this work? Of yours to kind of work through the the jealousy or the pettiness did you bring to the table oh yes we did we did um i would say that my relationship is pretty mature um and pretty lucky as well because uh, i get to speak to her in in the ways i really feel and she gets to speak to me the way she really feels not like many relationships i would say lucky enough you know when the minute you speak about it they start getting angry i mean i've seen some of my friends relationship like that but uh, for me, it's, I'm pretty lucky because both of us actually lower our ego down when one really wants to speak to us. Yeah. So I think that's the I'm 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 blessed to have her, uh, to to have her be part of my life. You know, I don't know when until, but uh, I would say that you know I will live in the moment till that day comes. I would say, yeah, not thinking about the future so much. Yeah. So we have a very open communication style where if the minute we feel that something is wrong, we don't hide it. We say it. You say it out loud. Yeah, you know, we, we don't want to waste time in, in it. I, I want to say waste time, but I said I don't want to waste unnecessary energy mm. that could be directed into something more productive, into being petty, for example. Mm. So, same thing for her. We try to be petty for a whole day, you know, and okay, by the end of the day, we got to resolve it, you know, by the end of the day. No bringing it or dragging it to the next day. We solve it by today. We have communicate, we, we talk, you know, no matter what. Do you guys live together? Uh, not all the time because as of, like I said, in Singapore, you, you're not easily going to get a house at yeah. the age of 18 or 20. Yeah. To rent a place is also not very easy, especially if you don't have a secure job. Uh-huh. And for the Singaporean male, it, it goes on to, to, I, to understand that once you're in the army, you're only getting paid, 
I would say really basic wages, really, really basic that you can't really actually even afford to pay rent. Yeah. And in Singapore, there's no easy way to pay rent. So I think we live a lot much more of our parents, right? I would say. So she lives with parents, I live with my parents, you know. And ultimately, if we do really want to get a house of our own, then we got to follow the government's traps they have set up for us, which is to get married yeah. and, to, and to get a built-to-order flat, which is similarly, uh, how I put it, if you get married by the age of... Uh, by 20 plus and everything else and you kind of have really a good career you just got a normal job uh-huh. the government gives you certain grants that you can you can apply for a build to order which means that to build a, a whole uh, HDB housing development board which is like 20 stories high and you get to you get to, to fit yourself in one of these little houses that, uh, that are available oh, wait, wait, next I, I, I gotta have this one again so the government wants you to marry and then you can apply for this thing which then you build a 20-story house uh no it's in a sense that it will be based on the people's uh so-called requests like not say requests but much more of like because in singapore many people want to to bto so uh there's a waiting list there's even a waiting list for you to bto so uh perhaps the new bto will be in this particular region so there will be only 400 uh uh, occupants so the first 400 on the waiting list can go into this to this uh, particular uh, so-called uh, flat yeah. right so, but um, if you are so-called in the waiting list down in the thousands you just gotta wait till the BTO is ready yeah wow that's interesting so it's a trap I would say because uh, if you don't get married right and you want to get a house on your own a BTO you can apply you can only apply after you're 35 or thir- if I'm not wrong 30 plus and okay. you're single and then you can apply but if you want to get a house before that, you probably got to get married. So majority of Singaporeans get married not because they feel like, you know, there's no one else they want to be with anymore, but much more of the convenience that it gives. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a big one to take in. Especially because it's so different from a lot of places in the world. Um, let's move back to your spirituality. What, mm. what does it look like right now? I would say it's pretty... I wouldn't say I've actually reached enlightenment. I would never say that because um, I feel as though if I have, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now, uh, number one. Um, in the sense that I still feel like, you know, the more you know, the less you know. So I think I would say that I would die finding that knowledge or gaining that knowledge. And I'll always be a student to the day I die. Never where I would actually be someone who knows everything. You know, this is what I believe in. And I feel as though it has matured. If you like to compare it for me now to maybe five or six, seven years ago, I've definitely improved a lot on my ego. Yeah. I definitely what, improved. What does that mean? Uh, my ego was that because in... The reason why I actually entered finance was because of the money. It wasn't because of the... Like, whoa, I love finance. You know, I love reading the news. I love understanding what was happening in the world and how I could actually take action into it. But to sit down there and read a finance book you know to understand finance in terms of the algorithms and everything else uh, no not really I didn't really enjoy that I actually enjoyed much more of like the creative process of, of, of like finding ideas yeah. which was much more of an artistic thing rather than much more of a scientific thing yeah. so I didn't really knew like, you know, I was just putting my artistic abilities into something else which yeah. is I didn't really enjoy and yeah I've learned a lot from that from the ego because I have lost a lot of money uh, I was trading uh, with foreign exchange. I was making a few a few thousand of money easy, but as well, so I have lost everything uh, with my investments into cryptocurrencies before the the boom. You know, um, in I think I would say in two thousand sixteen or seventeen, a few of my friends and I we just uh, put in a few hundred dollars into uh, Ethereum and everything else, 
And it did went up, you know, but uh, I didn't put much. So that was my mistake, number one. So when I decided to put nearly everything in, that was when I... It was already too late. Yeah, I was already too late. So, you know, I was going more of the flow. I was going the trend. I, was running, I wasn't going with the fact that I knew certain things were going to happen. I was having this FOMO mentality. And that was what caused a lot of the things to fall apart. And that's where actually it taught me a lot about my ego. Mm. My ego was inflated during a time frame when I was actually doing trading because I, or whatever or whatnot because I felt so whoever is not doing it, I, I know, uh, I, I'm not smart people, you know, you can take advantage of this, why not take it? But, you know, that's okay. when I realized that, you know. So you're, you'd say your, your view of yourself compared to the rest of the world was different? Um, I would say to a certain extent, not, not so much, but to a certain extent where uh, maybe it's Singaporeans because Singaporeans are in terms of their their training style they are not they are very risk at first people mm. yeah so perhaps when I was the riskier one I thought I was like you know the cool one you know the one that you know knew everything you know but you're, mean, the, you're the wolf of Singapore yeah I guess you could say that you know and I mean I'm, I really thank the universe for shutting me down right smacking me right down to the ground you know because that's where I really learned I really learned that you know you could do anything in the world as long as you are you, you know you are fulfilled to do it you'll find ways to definitely, you know, make a sustainable income. I don't even like to say, I don't even want to say money because money is an object. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a paper, it's paper, right? What is, what is money to you? Money to me is an exchange. It, it's just paper to me. What I actually want to do and, and what I like to build is sustainable income because income flows. You know, it, it doesn't, it, it's not an object. It always flows. Mm. So sustainable income is a very, you know, it's very subjective, right? But what is sustainable income to me can be different from someone else. So I like to maintain that as sustainable income and, and I would say to build wealth. And wealth also is very subjective. Could it be just uh, like the, the, the form of currency right now or could it be wisdom or could it be so much more? And that's what I would like to say. I'll choose to say the words to always be very uh, cautious of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say cautious, but uh, I would say to think twice about the words I use because I, I, I no longer like to say that I want to make money, but rather I want to make sustainable income for myself to be fulfilled and as well as build wealth. Yeah. And that is, like say, we talk about Taoism's teachings, you know, and, and about how your parts and feng shui works, right? So like, we have that topic and is that, you know, everyone is born with different, I would say, wealth and uh, different abundances, right? And the only, okay, I like to use this mentality. If you were born to be a fisherman, right? Yeah. The only reason why you're not happy to be a fisherman right now is because of the media. It's because you, you, you are now, you are living for the approval and validation of others. Because, oh my God, you're a fisherman, you know, that's what someone would say that and you're like, you know, why not, you know, you're be Then the only reason why you feel like, oh yeah, I sure, I shouldn't be a fisherman, you know, it's because you live now for the validation and approval of others. Mm. And that's why I feel a lot of times right now with social media, that's the cause. Is the minute you start to delete everything else and you start to live fully for yourself, you start to realize that you only you will you'll be very drawn and very clear to be able to do what is meant and fulfilled for you to do. You know, is this is something you've done? Or? Yes. So yeah. um before that, uh before I added you on Facebook <laughs> recently, <laughs> I actually had no social media for the past three and a half years. Oh nice. Yes, uh, I went through a very similar phase. So <laughs> I can completely relate to that. So it was pretty interesting because uh, what sparked me was that I kept spending so much time on Instagram looking at other people's lives and everything else and I felt bad about it for some reason, you know, I felt bad about it a few years ago and sure. I realized that, you know, I had enough, you know. And, and this was the time when, you know, when I told you my, my first year of my polytechnic was that uh, 
when I when I actually uh, I would say that you know created a bad reputation for myself in, mm. in that first semester or so yeah. is when the second semester onwards or the second year onwards I deleted everything and then and, and that's where I truly became a ghost you know focusing on myself but but it was the wrong kind of focus because I was focused purely on my ego like you know all you fuckers you're not gonna do anything in your life you can come here and study I'm gonna go do bigger things so that was the wrong mentality and I and I'm brave enough to admit that because I would say that this is what goes through many people mind, many people's minds in Singapore mm. you know or maybe in England, even in the world like you know you, you're outcasted you are, you're wrong so you, th- you tell yourself you know what, fuck these people you know I'm gonna do better than them, and then you're gonna see me driving my new supercar you know that, that was the perception you know but I outgrew that as well again yeah. and it becomes like you know what car what everything else you know when there's no ego the only thing that is, you're gonna be happy doing is like for me I, I surf I enjoy it yeah. You know, I, I, I don't have social media to show people that look, I'm living the Bali lifestyle or whatnot. It's purely for myself. And that's where I can spiritually grow and spiritually meet people like you, for example. Like, mm. you know, the, the vibration increases and you meet people that are meant to be in your lives rather than you actually, I would say, kick the fake people out of your life. But they're not fake, you know, I would say that they just make friends with you because maybe they have the intention for you. Sure. Uh, basic human needs, I guess you could say, you know, like, you know, people I, feel... I guess there's also a compatibility issue, you know. Sometimes we make friends and mm-hmm. we believe we want to have these people in our lives because mm-hmm. maybe they uh, portray something that we think to appreciate at that time, but, you know, actually yeah. there's no compatibility there. So... Yeah, sometimes people leave your life and, and it's not even because they have lower vibration or they're bad people or whatever. Correct, Just agree, because yes. there's no compatibility. They outgrew, you outgrew each other. Like, you yeah, know, exactly. And, yeah. You, you grew north, the other person grew yes, south. Yes, correct. There is never much more of the fact that uh, you are better than someone else. Never. Mm. Even if I'm so, like, you know, I, I'm knowing all this spiritual knowledge and someone who doesn't, it doesn't make me more spiritual than him. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I would just say that it's just that, sorry? Nothing. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. Um, it's just much more of like, uh, he knows his things and I know mine. As we grow, uh, we grow different directions, we yeah. actually, uh, one day might meet. If not, then I would say that, give you the blessings and everything else. Yeah. So would you say bravery is a value that you want to have in your life? I would say brave enough to admit your mistakes. That's the most important thing in my life. Maybe brave not, enough to make mistakes. Uh, brave enough to also make mistakes, I would say, but to also think of the consequences of it and is it worth making those mistakes to learn those particular lessons mm. that are actually, uh, that could be learned maybe by uh, perhaps looking at other people, looking at reading a book. Like if you see uh, someone not wearing a helmet and riding a motorcycle and he crashes and he hit his head, right? you, don't logical, have to, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to repeat that mistake to actually wear a helmet, but you realize that, hmm, I can learn from other people's mistakes as well, you know? It's out there for the taking as much as whatever I said about my mistakes. Someone else who hears this, or perhaps a Singaporean that hears this, or maybe a male, a, 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 a male person or in a different part of the world can learn from, from could, the... Could be anyone, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what does your spiritual practice look like right now? Mm, my spiritual practice consists a lot of about, uh, I would say, structuring my, my, the, the wisdom that I have learned. Because I, I was all over the place, you know, looking and learning about the Kabbalah for, I would say, not even learning about it, but just having glimpses of, of what the Kabbalistic traditions are, or even looking at the, um, the books on Christianity and yep. looking at the Quran, for example. I, mean, I haven't even read maybe one, one full chapter of it, but to, when, I, when I look at it and I realize that what it's actually trying to teach is what I actually digest. It's like, uh, for example, 
I combine all those things, right? And I, that, that's the thing that I said. I actually stay glad. So being glad to me is actually being grateful, mm-hmm. uh, loving at a higher will. How, how are you grateful? How does that look? I'm grateful for being, uh, I would say that whatever I have, I'm actually grateful for the food that I have that is on the table right now, you know. And every little detail, it's more of a personal thing because that increases my, my vibration and increases my, uh, like, you know, my happiness, I would say that. Because you can never be sad if you're grateful. Yeah. You can never be sad if you're grateful. So by being grateful by the simplest th- simpler things like, uh, you know, for me, when I was in the army, I mean, I, I didn't even have, have a hard ground to step on. I was stepping on mud all the time, you know, in my field camp. It was just six days, you know, but and in that six days, I learned a lot as well, is that you couldn't you, you could even find hard ground to step on or neither you could even find hard ground to sit or lie, on, lie down on. So you were just... You know, with a minute, all my, me and my mates, when, you know, my army mates, we went back and we stepped on the hard ground. We were like, oh my goodness, this was a huge blessing, you know. We were thinking, you know, I was like, oh my God, thank God, you know, like this is hard ground, you know, we can lie down finally, sit down and not sink in, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so being grateful is, uh, to me, it's just the little details, like everything by food that you're receiving today or even by having shelter and not being... Uh, uh, even just a room by itself, a small room or anything else, just be grateful where you are as of now. That, that, that is something is to practice, I would say. Uh, little things like you have a computer, yeah. right? Be grateful with that. You have a, you have a toothbrush, be grateful about it. Uh, in, in my army camp, I, I, I like in so that... So next that, time, just like, like the, throw a little harmony in there. <laughs> so next time you brush your teeth, be grateful that you're actually able to do that. You know, <laughs> otherwise they might fall out. Yeah, correct, correct, you know, yeah. And also uh, loving at a higher will with no possessions. Yeah. yeah. It's something also I'm trying to work on because if I create that base and one day my girlfriend leaves me, I wouldn't be in that, in that particular problem. But I'll still be sad, of course. I'll still be depressed, you know. But at the end of the day, with a strong base, I will not fall down so deep. Yeah. I'll be able to fall, but I'll still get up. And loving at a higher will is something that I think everyone should understand because that if someone who leaves you is no longer happy if you you can't force that person to be around you anymore because you gotta understand that relationships are not a are not a are not it's not a slavery it's not it's not slavery majority of relationships fall apart because of the fact that you think you own the other person mm. and that's when you lose attraction right uh I think I could speak for many people because that's what I felt once before is that when you start to think that you know ah you know what she's always gonna be there he's always gonna be there. There's so many other women out there, you know, and you get irritated with her and everything else because that's when you think you own that person. Yeah. But when you start to realize that you don't own that person and she can see or he can see whoever he wants, whoever she or he wants, you start to realize that you treasure them a little bit more. You start to realize that you, you don't really possess them anymore. You start to realize that they are their own being by themselves and you start to love them for the fact that what they represent to you and you don't, you don't, you know. So, so I think, guess you could say live in the moment in that aspect. And when it's, and it's time to go, let it go. Never force someone, you know. Love is, you know, you could watch these many dramas online, you realise that, you know, it's flawed concept in media, that, you know, this person, you know, recently I watched one of these Taiwanese drama, you know, it was a good film, but, you know, the guy was a little cucky, you know. It's like a cuck, you know. He, he loves this girl, he doesn't even want to admit it. You know, and he goes around this whole freaking damn bloody big bush, you know, oh my goodness, beat around the whole bloody bush to come to the point where, you know, in the end, he's still with her. But so much, so many people get hurt in the, in the process. So when you like someone, you know, just spend time with them. You don't need to say that, you know what, I like you, can you be my girlfriend? I like you, can you be my... That, that is, you know, 
That's not how it works. Mm. You like someone, you go out with them, you talk to them, you you open their minds as they open your yours, you know. And attraction is there, and then it's a natural process. Yeah, but if it's if it's no longer there, you gotta let it go. You know, something else is better out for you, or maybe you're supposed to learn something else in 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 this world. And then coming down to appreciation, where we people mistake it for for what's the difference between gratitude and appreciation? Appreciation is actually living in the moment, which is what we're actually talking about right now, right? Living in the moment. Um, great gratitude is for what you have, and appreciating is what you have in the moment. So, uh, looking at the the views that you have, looking at the good company you have, appreciate that, because you know, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna last long, you know. You know, I mean, you gotta appreciate for what it is in the moment. And I think the last thing is you. Is that's where that's where like uh, my one of my favorite Zen mm-hmm. quotes come into mind. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Ichigo Ichie, okay. which means uh, every moment only exists once. Right? Correct. So, yes. this word, this moment, this breath, this mm-hmm. whatever will never come together in the constellation of this universe as it is right now again. Correct. Uh, what was the next one? Oh, the last one is detachment. Detachment. So detachment is, is something that I've learned in this past uh, f- few years, I guess you could say. I mean, the whole concept of staying glad was was somehow just flown float through me just by having conversations with people. I didn't even have this concept that, oh, by being glad. I didn't read a book about being glad. But you know, when, when friends told me that, you know what, it sounds a little bit like stoicism. And I'm like, oh, I, I haven't heard of stoicism, you know. But then when I read it, I was like, ooh, it's similar to Stoicism. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that my own experiences led me to the philosophy, you know, in my own mind. And then after that, being exposed to, to Stoicism, I think it, it helped structure a lot of these things here and there. You know, mm. our forefathers of philosophy has taught us so much. And now, using the, the concepts of me being, being glad, I actually look upon to the forefathers to learn a little bit more to structure what glad means to me, you know. And I would say, continuing back to detachment, it's... Uh, with the ego and lust. So detachment from ego and lust is the most important thing for me. Uh, it's in a way where if you like to buy a car, right, a Ferrari, for mm. example, are you buying it purely because you love the, 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 the style of it? You like it because you, you love the, the horsepower and how the engine is built? It's like a masterpiece, an art piece? Or do you actually want to buy it because you want to be seen in that Ferrari? So if I give you a choice, this is something that I guess many people can relate to. Because I use the, the basic thing, many males or men, they love supercars, right? So if I put you in the car and no one else is going to see you in the whole world with this car, and you get to own it, but you'll never be allowed to be seen with this car, you know? Would you still want it? Many people, I would say that, I wouldn't say all, oh, because many people appreciate the, the horsepower and the, the style of it. 50% I would say would say that nah I don't want it anymore because I buy it to be seen it's a status symbol right? for sure I mean you can take a pause and think about that um, as we're kind of coming to an end right now um, there's so many different things to take out of this talk that we've had here with Cleon and uh, one, one of the lessons kind of that came out for me is the way that you structure relationships uh, the way that you look back at your past and are able to reflect and also how you take different teachings and teachers from different tradition, philosophies, religions, and so on and so forth, and use them as your teacher to learn from their mistakes or learn from their viewpoint and integrate them into your own vein. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time. I think this was a very beautiful insight into your life, and I hope to do this again at some point and yes. see how <laughs> your life looks uh, from a different perspective as you grow on your journey. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, Kevin. <laughs> All right. And I will talk to you on the next conversation. Have a good day. <laughs>